She say don't give a say your soul away, 'cause all that you have is your soul. So don't be tempted by the shiny apple. Don't you eat of a bitter fruit. Hunger only for a taste of justice. Hunger only for a world of truth. 'Cause all that you have is your soul. Hey, I want to welcome everyone. We're back for another episode of Interpreting the Old Testament. Pastor, how are you? I'm doing well, and I'm uh, I'm glad you're tackling this uh, this issue because there are there are some who have suggested that the Bible is actually affirming of gay relationships, and they use more than anything else usually um, the relationship between David and Jonathan. So I'm glad. You've decided to explain what this relationship is all about. Yeah, I mean, in this, there's three texts, three passages that are usually referenced whenever you know the subject comes up, and I, I want to read them real quick so that we can kind of um, explore kind of what what is being communicated. So the, the three passages are all found within First and Second Samuel. So the first passage is First Samuel 18, uh, which reads, "After David had finished talking with Saul." Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved them as himself. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved them as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic, and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. The second passage is 1 Samuel 20, verse 4. It says, After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. And then the third is 2 Samuel 1.26, which I think is actually the most popular passage used, which says, I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. So, um, you know, on the on the surface, I think our, our audience can see kind of like there are the language is being used here is definitely a little bit unusual, especially between two two men um, in, in in the Old Testament in the ancient Middle East. It's actually slightly uncommon to hear this language. We don't we don't hear this language used of other other male relationships. So on the surface, it seems pretty 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 a little bit pretty strange. But kind of today and day, a lot of progressives or uh, some people have used this. Use these three passages as an example of how the Bible actually affirms um, LGBTQ relationships, and I want to kind of quote two, two two people who who take the the story of David and Jonathan as as God affirming um, gay relationships. So the first one is from Kitridge Cherry. She's a she's a priest of the Metropolitan Community Church, and she says their relationship, David and Jonathan inspires LGBTQ people and affirms that same-sex couples are blessed by God. The second one is from uh, Bishop James Jones, who was a part of the Church of England. He says, here is the Bible bearing witness to love between two people of the same gender. 
it's interesting because what we want to do today is not it's not against we we, we don't, not speak against or we're not we don't want to bash the lgbtq community we're called to love and respect all but what we want to do in this in this episode is actually see how david and jonathan fit within the overall story of the bible while also addressing the claim that they were in a romantic relationship so this is something that's becoming more and more popular as the movement grows um, there's some people who want to make you know the movement compatible with Christianity and these passages come up. So we want to address it as, as this is becoming a little bit more, more popular. But before we kind of dive into these passages, I want to ask you, Pastor, have you ever heard this text or any other text used to affirm LGBTQ relationships? Yeah, I think the two most common ones are David and Jonathan. And really I've heard this since the eighties in some form or another, because the metropolitan church was, even more popular back in the eighties. Hmm. Um, and so David and Jonathan was the, was the sort of example in the Bible of a gay relationship. And the other argument is typically that in Leviticus, when the Lord says that when a man lies with a man, it's an abomination, that that's part of the ceremonial law. Um, you know, in the same way that if you touch a dead person's body, uh, yeah. You know, you're unclean. And the problem with that second argument is that section in Leviticus, which speaks of the abomination of a man sleeping with another man, lying with another man, is in the section of why God will judge the Canaanites mm. because they do these things. Well, the Canaanites did not possess the ceremonial law. No. So that section is all moral law. It's, it's those who don't even have an Old Testament, things they were doing that will bring judgment. So the claim that this is ceremonial law, like touching a dead person's body, which is something they didn't possess, doesn't make sense. It doesn't go with the passage at all. There would be no reason hmm. uh, that the Canaanites would be judged for ceremonial laws they've never heard. So that was the argument, the ceremonial argument, and then David and Jonathan were the two main arguments. You know, interestingly, I've actually heard, and you're going to be surprised by this, Ruth and Naomi, and also the centurion and his and his slave when they come to Jesus. That was a romantic relationship, too. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So we're, maybe in the future, we could explore those, those other two as well. But what we want to do, what I want to do now is kind of provide some sort of context. So the first one, you actually touched on it last week, Pastor. You said that we should see the story of David as one of exile to glory. So as, as we explained in the past, David is anointed to be king. God had promised David the throne. But when we read First and Second Samuel, it's actually very difficult to see that becoming a reality at first. Because David is, is, is just confronted with a series of challenges um, by his enemies. He, he, he suffers much on his way to the throne. And it's difficult to see from David's standpoint how God is going to fulfill his promise. And yet we see God's faithfulness. That's the beauty of the story. We see God's faithfulness throughout David's exile. We see his faithfulness through his victory over Goliath and over the Philistines. We see God's faithfulness in God saving David's life. But in a very special way, we see God's faithfulness with this special friendship. With, with Jonathan's friendship with David, it's actually a demonstration of God's faithfulness to David. Why? Because this is one of the strangest relationships in the Old Testament. And let me tell you why. Because 
there is no way, at least from an Old Testament standpoint, from the standpoint of antiquity, there's no way why the son of my enemy should be my friend. I think, I think that's a detail that's often overlooked. Jonathan was the son of David's enemy. Saul wanted to kill David. Why would you be friends with that man's son? And in the ancient Middle East culture, it would have been wise. It would have been strategic for David to kill Jonathan. You can't have any competitors to the throne. You can't have anyone claiming the throne or have any claim to the throne. David should have killed Jonathan if he wanted to accomplish, you know, getting the throne. But what happens instead? You know, the, 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 our expectations are David should kill Jonathan, but the Bible goes a completely different direction. And what happens instead? An intimate friendship between Jonathan and David happen. Actually, very beautiful. And that means, like, like I said, this is actually a demonstration of, of God's faithfulness, because as we're going to see, Jonathan actually plays a key part in David's ascendance to the throne. And we're going to unpack that. But before I do, do you have any any, any thoughts, Pastor, on, on the context? Yeah, and even the word that's used uh, for Jonathan's love for David is the common Old Testament Hebrew word, Ahab. And it's the general Hebrew word for love. And it occurs in family relationships. It occurs politically. Um, so you have a covenant of friendship. Hmm. I mean, it's the same word that's used for all Israel when it says all Israel and Judah had a love for David. Yeah. And so in the Bible, when there's a sexual relationship, um, the word is usually yada, which means to know. Mm. You know, Adam knew Eve. And yet that word is never used for Jonathan and David's relationship. Mm. And so what you have is a covenant of friendship. Um, that's um, because it's a covenant. Jonathan has committed himself to follow David. And, and with complete disregard for himself, because as you said, he was naturally next on the throne. Yes. And yet he is agreeing with the Lord that David is God's man. And so the gifts given by Jonathan serve to ratify the covenant. There are no romantic overtones here. This is a, a personal but also political and religious commitment to God's king. Hmm. Uh, you're, you're sort of going to um, develop that, so I'll let you do that in. Your next yeah. Point. Yeah. I mean, what, what I find interesting is that one, I think I mentioned in the beginning, David and Jonathan's friendship definitely did not fit normative male relationships in the Old Testament story. And, <laughs> you know, what's funny, Pastor, I think we've talked about this before, kind of, uh, kind of a lot of the patriarchy camp, you know, it's all about men being men, you know, women being women and the kind of, but I think David and Jonathan kind of break that a little bit because they have such a intimate relationship that almost sounds a little slightly effeminate which i think the progressive movement kind of exploits but it kind of shows that these things like intimacy vulnerability love kissing are not strictly you know effeminate things they they can be done among men in a in a good and healthy friendship if anything but what i want to explore is look at the language the in the three passages that we read taking clothes off kissing Love more than a woman than a woman than women sounds romantic on a superficial reading, but when, when we look a little bit more closely, the language is not romantic or, or sexual, but actually conveys something deeper and I think more glorious. So let, let, the first passage, let's look at the first pa- passage when it says that Jonathan took off 
his clothes. This happens right after David defeated Goliath. And, and that's actually a, 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 such a key point to notice because Saul did not stand up against Goliath. Not even the prince, Jonathan, did not stand up against Goliath, but it was a shepherd who defeated Goliath. So what's happening here when, when Jonathan takes off his clothes, it, it's actually Jonathan expressing loyalty and honor to David. Jonathan is actually symbolically granting the kingship to David. He, he's actually giving up his royal robes, his royal tunic, his royal weapons, and giving them to David. Because he is recognizing in faith that David is God's deliverer. And, and, and by the way, kind of like to, to note that this, this act of taking off the tunic, I know a lot of um, the progressive movement kind of take that, that, that detail as something, no, 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 this is, this is clearly a romantic and sexual relationship. No, the chapter right before in 1 Samuel 17, Saul took off his tunic when dressing David for battle. Um, clearly not, a, not, a, no, not romantic feelings or not, not meant to be taken romantically. Or when uh, the king of Persia actually takes off his, his own tunic to give it to Mordecai and walk him around the streets in, in honor. Um, it's not meant to be taken romantically. So this, this taking off of the tunic is actually a, a demonstration of honor and loyalty, which is what Jonathan here is doing with, with David. The second detail uh, when, uh, in the second passage when it says that, that Jonathan and David kissed. And, and for me, this is actually very, very strange detail to kind of use to kind of say that they had some sort of romantic relationship, which I think is a little bit confusing because it's actually this act of kissing is actually found throughout a lot of the Bible. Why? Because in ancient cultures and even in modern, kissing among men is, is completely normal. It's just a demonstration of affection, respect, and love, not sexual. For example, um, I actually had a professor who was a, he's American, born and raised here, but he uh, he was a missionary for two years, I think a few years, in Egypt. And in Egypt, men kiss men in the cheek as a hello and whatever. So you imagine a little bit of the the, the culture shock that a grown man will kiss, will kiss him, and he had to kiss other grown men, which is a little bit confusing, but it's just simply the norm, or even in my own culture, um, older sons kiss their own fathers um, and or their own brothers and you know in the cheek or whatever but so, so, so once again not be taken not, not meant to be taken romantic and in the Bible you see this all the time when Jacob and Joseph reunite they they kiss and they weep when, when Joseph reunites with his brothers in Egypt what do they do they kiss and they weep so 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 here it's not supposed to be taken as the exception but rather it's meant to highlight Jonathan's genuine love respect and honor for David because as, as as we just read Jonathan loved David as himself so so when David's very life is in danger and they have to separate how of course Jonathan is gonna is gonna weep for David's situation because he loves respects and honor him so to take these as somehow sexual or romantic I think is very it's, it's, it's twisting the passage um, terribly but but before we go on to the last detail, which is important, I want to ask you, Pastor, do you have any, any comments on, on David and Jonathan's intimate friendship and in, in, in these details? Yeah, you sort of said it that the sad part about it is the hyper-masculinity movement makes this all worse. Mm. Because, yeah. you know, we're told to, to not be vulnerable, intimate, honest, or, or emotional, that that's a weakness, and it's even called gay. <laughs> And yeah. so two men expressing emotion um, 
is is called gay. No wonder so many men in the church their their growth they're sort of emotionally stunted because they're taught that there's something wrong with that. And it's also on the other side why young gay men there's such a high suicide rate. Mm. And so in they they're trying to hide the fact that they're gay often and and then they're told they cannot have close friendships with other guys because that's gay. And so sometimes the loneliness is overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and again it's it's this this hypermasculinity that that even suspects David and Jonathan when when they're being men, they're believers and they're not afraid to show emotion to each other. Yeah. You know, I remember years ago um, I was reading a uh, a movie critic on the, the Fellowship of the Rings. And this is a critic that tended to see gay themes everywhere. <laughs> and so he argued in his, in his critique of the the movie that Sam and Frodo um, were, were, they had a homoerotic relationship. Wow. And it, it just really struck me that who, here are two male characters who are not afraid to show their care for each other. And this guy assumes some type of sexual overtone. Hmm. You know, that says more about him and his worldview and maybe our culture. Yes. That he would even have to go there. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a that's a really 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 great point because nowhere in the Bible, right, are these things, or at least like your critique against hyper masculinity movement or mindset worldview. I mean, the Bible doesn't describe what does it mean to be a man. You can't be X Y Z. I mean, it never says that. I mean, if anything, um, one of the most the best examples of what it means to be men are men who were vulnerable and who who loved, who wept, wept. Sorry, and and you know. Show genuine affection and love towards other men. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's a really great point, and I think that 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 mindset is actually an obstacle to better understanding this passage. So the last the last passage or the last detail I want us to look at is 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 the most famous one, the popular one, where where David says that he that he that he had a love for Jonathan more wonderful than that of women. And that that I mean that's for some people I mean that's that's a that's a checkmate, but I want us to take a step back because that's something very sad and and important have, has happened at least in that passage. One, Jonathan died, right? Jonathan died, and 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 we have a a David who is who is mourning, and this is a poetic mourning. He, he's he's comparing the love or at least the contrast or the comparison. Sorry, is like he's saying uh, your love was more wonderful than that of women. It's a poetic mourning. I think we should take a moment of reflection. Look how the story went. Jonathan was loyal to David throughout the moment they, from the moment they met to the end. And Jonathan saved David's life countless times. Jonathan forfeited his throne. Jonathan was next in line. And by offering his own weapons, his own royal tunics to David, he's declaring his loyalty to David, saying, you know what? You're the next king. Jonathan risked his life for David more than once. And on top of that, Jonathan forfeited his relationship with his own father. And that's, like, that's, that's, that's meant to highlight Jonathan's own loyalty to David, but it's also meant to describe the intensity and the depth of their friendship. But beyond that, I think, more importantly, it's meant to highlight Jonathan's faith and the promises of God 
that David was God's Messiah, God's anointed one, God's deliverer. So having all that in mind, the story as a whole, you, you can see in what sense David can say, you know what, your love was more wonderful than that of women. Um, no women, at least in David's life, had done this to this extent, what Jonathan has done. And he expresses it in these words. doesn't imply a, some sort of homoerotic relationship or some sort of LGBTQ affirming relationship. If, if anything, it just meant to highlight and describe the intensity and depth of their friendship and also highlight Jonathan's faith. But more than that, this this passage is meant to, to the, I'm sorry, let me, let me reword that. The intensity of their friendship is highlighted when contrasted with the fact that they should have been natural enemies. That's the beauty of their story. Not just that they were loyal to, to, to each other, but that they were loyal and loving to each other despite the odds being against them. The enemy of my father is my enemy. Or that's that's at least the mindset of the ancient Middle Eastern culture. You, as a family, as a unit, you were supposed to fight your family's battles. Your family's enemies were your enemies. But no, that simply wasn't the case for Jonathan. Even though Saul hated David, the contrast is what Jonathan loved David. David is a threat to Jonathan. Jonathan would lose his kingdom, even his inheritance, if he was to extend a hand of friendship to David. And we see this always going wrong, you know, when there's always competing kingdoms or competing inheritances. Uh, it always goes wrong, right? For example, Esau and Jacob. Jacob sought the inheritance for himself. And then what? Esau sought to kill Jacob. When the, the, the northern kingdom of Israel always had competing kings, always someone wanted to be the next king. And it was death and violence. And you'd think that that same pattern would be here. But that's not what you have. You have completely the opposite. You don't have death. You don't have violence. You have an intimate friendship. You have a friendship where Jonathan willingly surrenders the throne to David, where his faith in God is is, is so great that it, it, it is highlighted in the fact that, you know what, Jonathan's like, you know what, my inheritance doesn't matter. My kingdom doesn't matter. I have faith in God's deliverer. And he shows that by surrendering in and loving David. And I think as the story continues, we just see that we just we just see that continue that same love and loyalty when David even takes Jonathan's own son Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, instead of killing them, he takes him into his own home, into his own table. Even though technically Jonathan's son has a claim to the throne, David doesn't see him as a threat. He extends that same love and respect to his own son. So this kind of leads us into the time of the the horizontal and vertical elements of, of our passage. Let, let me just, before you say that, remind, yeah. if we, in case we have new listeners, the horizontal means the typological, how the Old Testament points to Christ in the New Covenant. Go ahead. Yeah. So Jonathan's friendship is, is unique and special, and it's definitely uncommon in Old Testament times. I, I can't think of any other relationship that's described with the same intensity as Jonathan and David. And it's, it, it's, meant, to, it's meant to convey something, something beautiful. Because what Jonathan does in our story, what does he do? He embraces God's Messiah. Jonathan is, it represents, you know, a true disciple. He, he, he exemplifies um, the, how the disciples of, of God's kingdom. Look, look, look what Jonathan does. He does the same thing that, that John the Baptist does. Jonathan, Jonathan, with his life, communicates, he, David, he must increase and I must decrease. That's exactly what Jonathan does. The same thing that what, what the same thing that John the Baptist did, Jonathan did for the sake of God's Messiah. Also, 
I think in, in a, from a bigger a bigger picture is Jonathan points towards a time when God's people will love each other in this manner. Like I said, I think it's, it's I purposely said that Jonathan's friendship was unique and special, uncommon in Old Testament times. But but, but notice Jesus's words. What, what, what Jonathan was to David wasn't me, wasn't something that was meant to be contained just for David and Jonathan. No, it was something that was that that, that was meant to be common among all of God's people. Jesus's words are this. He says in Mark twelve thirty one. He says the second is this: love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jonathan exemplified and pointed to the ethic of the kingdom of God. The ideal among God's people is that we ought to love each other, our fellow brothers, our fellow sisters, in the same way that Jonathan loved David, in a selfless manner, uh, in, in a way that meant sacrificing yourself, your own goals or your own anything for the sake of your neighbor, where you genuinely love them despite opposition, despite um despite, I mean, whatever whatever obstacle you may encounter. So, um, yeah, Jonathan exemplified and pointed to the ethic of the kingdom of God. And, any, any thoughts on that so far, Pastor? Yes, in a sense, looking ahead, this is a warning to Israel because they expected the Messiah to simply bring in glory and blessing, and it wouldn't cost anything to follow him. Mm-hmm. And yet here, God's Old Testament king, uh, his his deliverer of Old Testament Israel, it would cost greatly to identify with him. Yeah. And so Jonathan is pointing ahead to the cost of following God's king, that it won't be all glory. There will be suffering involved. Yes. And so again, the Israel had no excuse because the type was warning them that this would happen. Yeah. And... And when we look at the story of, of, of Jonathan and David, you know, th- there's an element where, there, where this applies to us. This applies to believers. And I think the, this is the part that best applies to, to believers is, is, is Jonathan's faith. N- notice, notice how the story goes. He, Jonathan knew that if he supported David, he will lose his father's love. He will lose his kingdom and he will lose his, his inheritance. And yet, Jonathan trusted that God would take care of him, even if it costed him his life. That actually, actually sounds very familiar. That's exactly the call that Jesus makes to, to all. He says, if you want to follow me, you must leave everything. You must, you must embrace me totally, have complete trust in God, even though you might lose everything. And as Christians, following Christ has, has a cost. You know, it, it may cost friendships, relationships, family, work, and many other things. And yet we trust that Christ, our true king, will give us a heavenly family, that he will give us a heavenly inheritance. And that inheritance is the new heavens and the new earth, the, the, the kingdom of God. So Jonathan's faith is our faith. If, if we've embraced Christ, you are imitating Jonathan because Jonathan embraced David, God's king. And what have we done? We've embraced the true king, the, the king that David was pointing to. David was a mere type of, of Christ. We, we, we have the real Christ, the Christ that saved us from our sins, the Christ who brings in the, the, the new heavens and the new earth. So if we've embraced Jesus, you are imitating Jonathan's faith. So, 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 so in conclusion, kind of going back to, to what we were talking about in the beginning, we can't use this passage for affirming LGBTQ relationships. This is 
an, an abuse of the text because as we've seen, what, 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 what David and Jonathan's relationship is meant to point to, it's meant to point towards, um, or better said, it, it exemplifies the love we should have for Christ, God's King, and towards our neighbor. Jonathan exemplifies sacrifice, selflessness, and sincerity. And, and that's exactly what's, what the New Covenant community is, is called to do, to live in a sacrificial manner, to live in a selfless manner, to be sincere with one another and honest. Not, not to care or love one another because we're threatened to do so. No, but because God has worked in us in such a way that our life reflects that. Now, this is not mere moralism. This is not merely like, you know what, Jonathan lived a good life. You should live a good life. No, 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 no. When we look at the story of the Bible as a whole, Christ rescues us from sin and darkness. And, 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 and this, this love that we should have towards our neighbor doesn't come you know, from us. It comes from the Spirit that works in our life in such a way that we reflect the new creation. That's how we were able to imitate Jonathan's life and Jonathan's faith. But that's not easy. And, and I know because even in churches, people don't act like Jonathan. I know I've said that this is supposed to represent, Jonathan represents a true disciple, how we ought to live in the new creation. And I know for a lot of us, you know, our church experience is completely the opposite. There's not a lot of Jonathans. There's a lot of Saul's and there's a lot of, you know, not, not, a good, not good people. So how, how, how does that work? And, and the beauty of Jonathan's story is because we're not only called to imitate his, his life and his love, but also imitate his faith. Because people in churches will fail, but Christ won't. Because Christ is our greater David, and he is our greater Jonathan. And I think that's, that's where our trust and comfort is. So and, and, and any final thoughts, Pastor? Yeah, I think you just said it, that it's not enough simply to say what this text isn't about. Yeah. We need to... Uh, unfold the beauty of it, how it does point to Christ in his relationship with us who have embraced him. That it is this beautiful relationship. And then, as you said, it's lived out, the love of Christ um, in the church. So let me just briefly introduce what we'll do next week is I'm going to take us through David and Bathsheba. Because mm. that seems to be a controversial story lately. And just to show how Hebrew narrative is written and how to understand these things. But um, so we'll move on with David. But thank you for for explaining really the glory of what that text really is about about David and Jonathan. Oh, my mama told me because she says she learned the hard way. Says you wanna spare the children. She say don't give her say your soul away, cause all that you have is your soul. So don't be tempted by the shiny apple. Don't you eat of a bit of fruit. Hunger only for a taste of justice. Hunger only for the truth Cause all that you have is your soul 